0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stand now for the reading of our passage this morning's sermon. It is Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. This is Jesus speaking. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we have read your word, and we ask that now by your spirit you would give us all humble souls as we receive this word preached. I pray that we would be fed by you, that you would rebuke, encourage, train us for righteousness so that we would be equipped and adequate for every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So in our evening services for the last three weeks or so, We've been talking about th- this passage and other passages that have to do with the fear of God and uh, that, that positive command to fear God. Today, though, I want to focus on the, the last verse we read and the, that command not to fear. So we're told what to fear in the beginning. And we're told not to fear at the end of the passage. It's quite clear that there is one, only one fear that's good, right? There's only one fear that in the end is good. I mean, there are times when you should be afraid and it'll help you, like, escape something dangerous. So it would be bad if you weren't afraid at points or didn't have adrenaline flowing. But as far as a, a thoughtful fear, not just a reactionary fear, a thoughtful fear... There is one fear that's appropriate, and that's the fear of God. And our passage defines it here, the reasons why. Because God can do far more than just kill a body. He can can cast a soul into hell. Okay, and so that is the reason to fear God, that there's much more time in your future than just this life. All other fears are counterproductive. All other fears outside of that one fear are, are counterproductive. You remember that famous FDR quote, right? What is it? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then FDR concludes that sentence with the reason he said that and his definition of fear. He goes on from there and says, Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance, right? So he's talking about a fear that paralyzes and doesn't and, and causes one to retreat um, rather than to advance. And of course, we know what he's talking about. He's talking about warfare. In that, the fear he's talking about is a fear that leads to inaction. And I think the fear of God is the only the only kind of fear that actually leads to action. Every other fear leads to inaction. Um, so, so the fear that FDR is talking about is a fear which transforms a man into a, a, a pile of pudding, an inactive gelatinous mass, right? We've all felt like that many times in our lives, haven't we? Of course, he hadn't recently read Matthew 10, or he would have said, the only thing we have to fear is God himself, right? That would have been fresh in his mind, and he would have said, the only thing we have to fear is God himself, right? And to see God in that world war and the the judgment that was coming would have been, was very easy to see. Well, we all experience fear, don't we? We all experience fear. To take a minor example, a fear of heights, right? Who has a fear of heights? I do. I mean, I'm a little nervous even preaching on the edge of this platform. No, I'm not. This is not that bad. But if it were two steps higher, I might be thinking about it. But but a fear of heights. The, but my point in this is... Fears have consequences. Fears have consequences. I mean, take that one little fear, fear of heights. It leads, it leads me to avoid a whole host of high-altitude situations, right? I don't, I don't want to ride roller coasters. That's stupid and insane. And you're stupid and insane if you like roller coasters. It's a death trap, and you're going to die. Um. It's the climb of the hill that's terrible, right? It's when you get higher and higher and higher. After that, I'm fine. Get me going fast and up and down. It's fine. It's the slow climb that really hurts. Um, the greatness of the Grand Canyon. My wife and I, early in our marriage, went to the Grand Canyon, and I experienced it from a safe distance from the edge. There was no switchback trails down into the canyon where you have to pass by somebody and get on the outside of the trail and you have about two feet and a thousand, dr- no. And, and the idea of getting on a stupid beast like a donkey and then getting on those switchback trails, um, no. That's, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, when ascending any open-staired structure, the one who fears heights grasps the railings tightly and doesn't get to enjoy the view, right? The view is what's causing the problem. And so you grasp the rails and you go up is, and you've got your head down basically trying to, to look at your feet and not look past the edge. And um, the one who fears heights could uh, could be troubled by getting into large, heavy airplanes and getting off the ground, Um you know, a helicopter where the, the blades move is simply never an option. That's crazy. You know, the, the 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 wings are moving and and most of them have glass like that you can see through. And so that's not an option. This particular example of a fear is anyone who shares this fear with a test comes on without much provocation. It comes on very quickly. You, you learn the circumstances that will bring it on, and you avoid them, right? Roller coasters, glass elevators. Um, you make alternate plans to do what could be more convenient if that fear weren't present, right? We learn to cope with our fears. That's how we cope with our fears. We make adjustments in our lives according to our fears. We make huge adjustments sometimes, but we're always constantly making minor adjustments um, to cope with the fears in our lives. Scripture addresses fear and fears with regularity, as we have seen in uh, certainly the fear of God. We've seen that regularly in the evening services. Perhaps the most most well-known statement about fear is this, the fear of the Lord, that right kind of fear, is the beginning of wisdom. Right? With that statement, we learn that not all fear is bad or irrational. There is fear that's good, and there is fear that's bad. In fact, to cut to the chase, there's only one fear that's right. Again, the fear of, the, of God, and that is the point that is made in the first few verses of Matthew 10. And if you want to dig more into that, then, then go back and listen to my sermons from the past three um, evening services. But we focus this morning on Jesus' statement in 31. Do not fear. Do not fear. I mean we could just stop there, right? And we could all just go around the room and talk about our fears, couldn't we? We could we could come up with a thousand different things. And some of them would some of them would be insane. We would laugh at people for their fears, but they're real fears. And then others would be like, Yeah, I resonate with that fear. And then others would be almost terror that would that it would be hard to share with somebody else the terror that we live with and 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 so to, for scripture for Jesus then to say after he's told these apostles to go out and and share the gospel and people are going to be vile to you and people there will there will be wolves that will attack you for him then to say do not fear is to confront these apostles with with their fear, right? Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. We are to fear what is appropriate to fear, and we are not to fear what is inappropriate to fear. We're not to fear what is inappropriate. We'll focus on uh, the prohibition this time. Do not fear. Who Who is speaking in our passage? It's Jesus Who is he speaking to? Verse 1 through 5 of chapter 10 tells us that Jesus was speaking to the 12. The inner circle of those who were following him, the apostles, right? Verse 2 through 4 gives us a list of those 12 men. Then verse 5 says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. So what we receive in chapter 10 is Jesus' specific commands to the apostles, to those who are believers, Right? This is not a mixed crowd of believers and unbelievers. They are followers of Christ, though Judas, the son of perdition, certainly is not a believer. This is not the apostles surrounded by a crowd of Pharisees, as happens in other occasions. Right? These words of Jesus are meant for those who are following him. So we can't just brush Jesus' words off under the rug and say that he was telling unbelievers to fear God. Right? Yes, the apostles had much to learn, but they had left everything to follow Jesus. And he makes this astonishing point. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? In a nutshell, he's telling these men, as they are about to be sent out to preach, that they should not fear man, but that they should fear God. Right? Don't fear those who can, can just nail you to a cross. Don't fear those who could just put a noose around your neck and kick the lever so that you fall through it and die. Don't be afraid of those who could take a sword and hack your head off and hang it on the wall, the city gate. I mean, don't fear, you know, little things like that. But just fear God. God who not only is sovereign over the way you die, but he's sovereign after that point. He's sovereign over the judgment that comes after that. And he can say, well done, or he can say, away from me, I never knew you. Don't fear those who can only touch the body. Fear the one who can eternally destroy both soul and body in hell. Is it right for Christians to fear the Lord? No one can, can deny that truth after reading this passage. So, Jesus teaches us what not to fear and who to fear. And Jesus' teaching here is very challenging. He says, do not fear those who can kill you, rather fear God. Can we think of any more ultimate example of what not to fear? If we are not to fear those who can take our lives and, by extension, not to fear the, the death of the body, then is there anything that is legitimate to fear? I mean, think about that. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. We may be threatened with the loss of character. We may be threatened with the loss of property. We may be threatened with all that makes life enjoyable. If we go on in the path of religious duty, we must not heed such threats when our course is plain. Like Daniel and his three companions, we must submit to anything rather than displease God. You remember Daniel and his three companions? They have a pleasant task ahead of them. Like Daniel and his three companions, we must submit to anything rather than displease God and wound our consciences. The anger of man may be hard to bear, but the anger of God is much harder. The fear of man does indeed bring a snare, but we must make it give way to the expulsive power of a stronger principle, even the fear of God. It was a fine saying of good Colonel Gardner, I fear God, and therefore there is none else that I need fear. I mean, do we have a sense of this? Do do you live in the fear of God? Or is it a thousand other things that you fear? And the fear of God is actually far, far down on the list of things that you fear right? I mean, if we did it, if we, if we all could analyze our time during the week and just mark down on a sheet, yeah, right now I'm fearing this, I'm fearing this, I'm fearing this, I'm fearing this. What would the tally look like? What would the tally look like? There is one fear that is right, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God's wrath, and all other fears outside of that one fear are matters for repentance. Jesus wants you to Wants us to be free from all the wrong fears. He wants the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus says to you and me, do not fear. Do not fear me. Do not fear. In fact, the only way to not fear a hundred different things is to put those fears in the shadow of that one major fear of god to fear god is to put all other things in perspective isn't it and yet you know very well just as i know it of myself fear is a the wrong kind of fear is a constant companion for you what do we fear let me just try and try and uh, bring up some of your fears although you probably pretty much could name them easily but we fear disease, don't we? Disease. Especially those we might, uh, those that are we are likely to inherit, right? Because we've seen the ravages of that disease and we, we know that there's a likelihood that we might inherit it through genetics, physical or even mental disease, right? And that's a great fear of ours, isn't it? We fear not just disease, but we fear illness. Think of the time you spend worrying about the stomach bug. Think of the times you worry about germs and foodborne illnesses and the pukes and colds and the flu and fevers. All those things that every person in every age of all of creation has dealt with, and survived. Even little illnesses we, we get fearful over. We fear injury, the brakes and the burns and the things that might come from car accidents. We fear loneliness, don't we? Loneliness. Some days we're very lonely. Some days um, we're surrounded by people and we're lonely. Some days we're... We wish we had uh, friends. Um, some some wish profoundly that God would provide a spouse, or fear that God will take away a spouse, will take away friends. What um, we wonder what it'll be like if we, when we, when our children leave our home. Um my my wife and i joke about it and we we're like woohoo it's going to be a party and and i think that's a joke that's our way of coping with it right we'll worry about our children when they're not underneath our authority we fear the loss of loved ones of spouses of children of parents of grandparents tra- tragic or prolonged death we fear abandonment by our friends we fear relationships Um, having relationships, right? Responsibility in our relationships. We fear that. We fear being elders and pastors of the church because it means relationships. It means um, being close to people and and having uncomfortable conversations. We fear for the safety of our loved ones. Where are they? Will they make the right decision? How could they possibly exist without me? We... um, we fear, we just fear people who have power. You know, we, we fear the police. We fear the, 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 uh, the water district who, who sends us bills and then threatens us when we don't pay them. You know, it, even little authority. We fear. We fear, um, uh, we fear terrible power, um, break-ins and stalkers. Right, and those who would um, commit violent crimes, we 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 fear those who have the power to steal or political power. We fear responsibility. We fear natural disasters. Think of Luther, right? Luther Luther could, was was not a. He's like a little a little dog in a thunderstorm, right? Scared to death by one thunderstorm in particular that he thought God was out to get him in that thunderstorm. And that's when he he made the wrong kind of vow. He vowed to go into the monastery at that point, I believe, and become an Augustinian monk Um, later. He found the peace of God that surpasses understanding. But we fear natural disasters, right? How many of you are beginning to track the uh, hurricane season? Because, you know, every once in a while, these hurricanes make it this far inland. Um, if you live through Hugo, you know that. Um, we fear political upheaval. I mean, think of the fear you had when, when Obama was elected or Trump was elected. Think of the fears you had. You're like your breath was taken away by one political victory, right? Think of the fear you have of strangers. You fear strangers? That's somebody that shouldn't be on our road. What's going on? Never seen that guy before. And we get afraid. We fear fear whether or not our little plans are going to work out, right? We make plans to leave at 5 a.m., for General Assembly on Tuesday, and for the three days previous, we're like, okay, I hope my my alarm goes off, and I hope there's no traffic on 85, and I've got to get there by 9, and and we fear just plans falling through. I mean, some of us are obsessive about plans falling through, right? And so you get to the dojo 15 minutes, 20 minutes early, Um we fear tests. We fear hard work. We fear persecution. We fear, at times, think of this, you fear obeying God. Not just disobeying God, but you fear obeying God because you know obeying God is going to mean dropping a a bomb at the Thanksgiving table to your unbelieving family members, right? Um, and... and you know, Scripture is going to come along and it says submit to your husband and you think to yourself, that is too costly. I cannot submit to that man, right? Or Scripture says, love your wives, men, and, and, and you say, I can't love that woman. And so you, you you fear obeying. Like to obey those verses would be like Cataclysms in your marriage, right? Your your own family wouldn't know who you were if you started submitting to your husband, right? It'd be radical, right? Showing deference to your husband, it'd, it'd just be, you know, I mean, your children would um, would think that you had been drinking, perhaps, like Hannah and Eli. Um. Think about keeping a vow when it hurts. You know, Scripture talks about keeping a vow even when it hurts. That obedience to the Lord when you've made a vow and it's something that's that is very difficult. Trusting God to provide when you know obeying Him will mean the loss of your job, right? You you want to have a Christian conscience where you work, and you're not allowed to anymore because they're making you um, they're making you address. Uh, transgendered individuals by made-up names and you want to confess christ well what would god have you do obey or not obey see sometimes it's costly sometimes we fear to obey sometimes we just plain don't want to obey but sometimes we fear to obey knowing the consequences and some of us some of us fear damnation that God will not forgive your sins, but hold them up against you and will not discipline us for our good, but simply to fatten us up for the slaughter. I mean, so I, I, I'm just scratching the surface here on fears, right? Have I hit any that maybe you you think about, that you fear? Um, you could add your own. I mean, there are, and they're from profound to absurd. You know, there are certain kind of cheeses that scare me. You know, depending on the content of mold on the outside, I'm like, you that that is scary to eat. That is going to kill you, right? But that's a fear. I mean, it's a real fear. Um, it would be easy to define our lives by our godless fears. All these fears present us with with nothing and constantly militate against the one fear that we, sh- we should have, which is the fear of God. Um, when we were children, we feared certain things. Hopefully, as adults, you've grown out of this. But the dark, right? The dark, Thomas. The unknown. That's what the dark is. It's the unknown. It's the unseen, right? And, um, you know, that that's generally where our fears fell when we were younger. And when we became teenagers, our fears changed a little bit. They became more interpersonal, right? Fear of not being liked. Fear of not being cool. Uh, fear of not having friends, right? They became social fears. And then we become adults, our fears deepened. Because, because with adulthood comes more responsibility, And when you have more responsibility to to fail, that fear of failure becomes huge. And so to fail other people becomes one of the major fears of adulthood. And when we get older, our fears are even more focused because in older adulthood, you've experienced a lot. You've lived through a lot of good and bad, disappointments, scary things, fears. And so your fears become much more focused and we, we've gotten used to our fears. We don't know what life is like without our fears. Can you imagine a life without fears? You know, if you could get up in the morning and your first thought wasn't that thing that you're afraid of that day, how often does that happen to you? It's a great day when you wake up and your mind goes to prayer. But how often is it the responsibilities that you think you're going to fail in? Right, that's fear. So we get used to our fears. We welcome them. We express them. What what would we talk about if we didn't talk about the things that we were upset about and afraid of? We would very we wouldn't talk about much. Um, we don't. We we welcome them. We express them. We make peace with them. We hone them. We also hide our fears right we hide our fears and keep them to ourselves not even expressing them to others and they all make really miserable companions don't they fears lead to what fears lead to worry worry then pushes joy from our lives right it pushes peace from our lives they push worry pushes trust in god from our lives And and Jesus desires us and commands us and and tells us to set those fears aside. He says, do not fear. Why is it that we should not fear what is not worth fearing? Um, Jesus gives us the answer. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus is saying this God cares for the dusty corners of his creation. He cares for every part of his creation. He knows when and gives attention to a sparrow when it falls to the ground. And yet, sparrows are not very valuable, relatively, right? They're not valuable. If that is true, that God cares for the sparrow, which is not very valuable, how great is his care for you who are created in his image? The height of his creation, right? He cares for you so intimately, so deeply, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. That seems like just useless information, doesn't it? But it's an expression of God's intimate knowledge of us and his the immensity of his knowledge, right? He cares for you so intimately, he knows the very number of your ha- hairs of your head. Of that truth, Spurgeon says this, God's wisdom and knowledge are so great that he even knows the number of the hairs upon our head. His providence descends to the minute particles of dust in the summer gale. He numbers the gnats in the sunshine and the fishes in the sea. While God's providence certainly does control the massive orbs that shine in heaven it doth not blush to deal with the drop that trickleth from your eye right it deals with the 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 saturn as a planet rotating around the sun and yet he knows even the tear that drops from your eye do you revel in that care do you do you settle and think about that care do you revel in that care and that concern and that love and that intimacy of the Almighty Father? Do you draw in deep, contented breaths as you contemplate the great love of God he has for you? He, his, his adoption, his redemption, his, he, he has made you his precious child. Or do you go jumping from fear to fear? Do you just go jumping from fear to fear? Fear casts out any meditation on the goodness of God. If it is fear to fear, then we have not simply a psychological problem, but it's a theological problem. Right? We do not believe that God cares. That's why we fear. We don't believe that God cares. We functionally do not believe that God is sovereign over all that we do not, you know. And then. And then we think, even if God is sovereign, his sovereignty is not good. We do not seek our relief in the beautiful, sovereign, providential God who works all things to that end, that he would be glorified. It is, it's very important for us to remember and to believe that what comes at us in this life is not laid out to us by some impersonal unloving, fatalistic force. The things that have come to you have come from God the Father. It's not arbitrary at all what has occurred to you, but all things are laid out by the personal, loving, fatherly care of God himself. And so in a fallen world, it takes faith to believe that that is truth. And what ties it all together is that the ultimate end of everything is not my comfort, not even my salvation, but the glory of God. The glory of God. The glory of God is the ultimate end of all things, of all time, of all history. And, and you live like, like it's, either it's not important or it's a just it's a sidecar. The ultimate end of the glory of God in everything... The glory of God is the ultimate end of all things, of all time, of all history, right? And when we realize that, when we realize that the end of all things is not me and my existence, and my intellect, and my good looks, and my comfort, my ease, my respect, my responsibilities, we should be able to put our fears in the proper context. If God is who he says he is in his word, which he wrote, And he is doing what he says he is doing in his word, which he wrote. We need not fear that which comes to pass in this life. When we fear our immediate environments, our singular context is our immediate surroundings. When we fear we are myopic, when we are myopic when our when our Fears rule us, forgetting that God is at work, that God is there, that God is watching over us, that all things, even the sparrow falling to the ground, are to his ultimate glory. Our fears will fade when we pull back, when we remember that we are living in a world and a universe that is God's. It's not ours. It's not The fatalist world. It's not the atheist world. It is not mother nature's world. It's not the evolutionist world. It is not the unchangeable forces of nature's world. It is God's world. And he is not at the mercy of anything within that world. He made it. He rules over it. He made it. He rules over it. It's amazing, isn't it? All things work to the praise of God's glory, and a part of that glory is his invitation to you and to me, evil creatures, to enjoy the eternal rest of his glory. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. That's what he's doing with you. He's working out all things to his glory. And he swept you up in that because he wants glory. Fear, I mean, live your life in fear. And really, it's you that wants the glory. You want all peace. You want to call all your own shots. You want to have everything controllable by you. And that's what fear says. One day, if you know Jesus Christ, you will hear this invitation. Enter into the joy of your master. Yet living in bondage to our fears indicates something else. It indicates that we are, it indicates this also. Living in bondage to our fears indicates that we are thankless. Think about how thankless we are. We go, we undergo one slight difficulty. And suddenly we're accusers of God. Right? This is too much. I can't take this. We don't say it to God, but we say it to everybody else. I really can't do this. We undergo several difficulties, and suddenly we have to adapt to our entire theology. And in order to make sense of what is going on in our lives, we'll happily begin to question whether God is, in fact, good. That's terrible. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. That's how some of us deal with it. Um, Joseph's statements at the end of Genesis kind of make you sick. Right? They kind of like, Joseph, if anybody has a reason to have a gripe, you've got a reason to gripe. Instead, Here's the passage. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to them, when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones, so be comforted then. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And just like you and I can receive a thousand compliments and one correction, and all we think about is the one correction, uh, we fixate on the several hard providences from God and forget about the thousand ways that his providential care has preserved us. Right? Right? Every day, every mercy that he's given to you. Joseph could have assessed his life in that way. Just think of Joseph. He could have said, you know how many days I spent in prison? You know how many days I spent weeping for my brother Benjamin? You know how many days I, I spent longing to see my father? Counting every day, every single day away from his family. Instead, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He doesn't live in fear. He lives trusting God. Think for a moment about what God has spared you from. Think for a moment about how God did not allow you to go as far as you wanted to go. Right? Think for a moment about his protection in a dangerous place. Think for a moment about His healing you. Think for a moment about every meal and friend and joy that He has given to you. Think for a moment about what experience you've had of God's power and love and care and concern and grace over the course of your life. And then think for a moment about His Son dying for you. King David in Psalm 37 says the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. That is looking at things the right way, isn't it? Why are we so obsessed with disappointment, with dissatisfaction? Because we live from fear to fear and our fears cast out our vision of God's wonderful providence and goodness. Satan would have us fear, right? Have us doubt the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Forget the mountains of blessings God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, says don't fear. Do not fear. God is good. God is present. God is... Is all of God is ordering all of history and all of this world to his glory? So, relax, dear brothers and sisters. Don't fear, relax. He's with you, He knows, He's ordained it. Don't fear. Your bodies, your souls, your characters are all in His safekeeping. No disease can seize. Them and no hand can hurt them unless he allows, right? You may, be, you may say boldly to every fearful thing that you meet with, you could have no power at all against me except it were given from above. That's what we can say to every scary thing. You wouldn't have any power except God has given it to you, right? And hopefully that makes us pause, and think and begin to work at putting down the fears that we go from, from moment to moment, fearing. Let's fear the Lord and let's kill our other fears, right? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of Jesus spoken to his apostles. We thank you even though they were going out on what would have been perhaps the most fearful Fearful trip of their lives up to this point, not knowing whether they would be persecuted or even killed. That Jesus tells them at that point, fear God, but do not fear anything else. Do not fear man. Do not fear sword. Do not fear being out of provision. God will provide and so, Father, I pray that we would begin to learn this and repent of our fears. Oh Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.